Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. And on this episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air, I am joined by Drs. Marissa Robeson, Lisa Robeson, and Parthiban Navaratnam. I tried so hard. Steve, also known as Steve, who are both veterinarians in the UK. They are the founders of the British Veterinary Ethnicity and Diversity Society. Founded in 2016, the group has six six point mission around promoting diversity and inclusion in the vet, in veterinary medicine. And we're going to dig all into that today. I'm really excited to have you both on the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank so. Yeah, thank you. As we always do on the show, I like to have my guests tell a bit about themselves. Steve, why don't you go first? Oh, okay, thank you. My name's Steve. I'm a veterinarian. Um, so I, I sort of concentrate on livestock. Um, so I'm a lecturer here at the Royal Agricultural University, um, and I do some clinical work, and I spend my time with dairy production as well. All right. Steve loves the cows, right? So. <laughs> um, so I also love the cows. So um, I'm currently working at the herd health department at Edinburgh University. I work as a locum vet, so this was is temporary contract, but I have only ever done farm since I graduated in 2008. So um, at some point, me and Steve were uh, classmates as well. So we both graduated from Edinburgh. I do mainly uh, dairy, beef, and sheep. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Wonderful. Well, welcome. I'm so excited to have you both on the show and shout out to uh, University of Edinburgh. So we will definitely be tagging them when the show comes out. So I'm going to just dive right on in. So are, is there good diversity data on veterinarians in the UK? Our CVS. So the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons, who's our professional body, they do actually produce something called like RCVS facts, and they collect stats on various different stats about the profession, um, and they also do something that is called, I think it's the RCVS. We can certainly link to it in the show notes. Yeah, so, so I can I can provide a link to the the stats that the RCVS are collecting mm-hmm. the profession. And they they have looked at things, kind of ethnicity, disability, where vets are qualifying from, uh, how many of them are EU, non-EU, whether they had a parent who is from higher education and uh, like who, who, you know, sure. were a guardian, you know, stats for male and female, that kind of thing. But there are some good stats out there. Okay. Um, I think. Probably the ones kind of like most pertinent to us at the moment are that vets of color make up maybe 3% of uh, oh, wow. the veterinary profession and it's probably less uh, about 2% for vet nurses. Given that the UK uh, ethnic minority population is 13%, it's pretty non-representative of our population. Wow, those, those that, that is comparative to what's happened in the US. I think that... Mm-hmm. 
here in terms of vets of color, we are probably around seven to eight percent now. Of course, we're approaching 30 to 40 percent in our general population, right? So it's, it's, yeah, we certainly share that kind of underrepresentation. Yeah. But so what are some of the big challenges around this in the UK? Uh, yeah, no. So I think um, it's the, the lack of role models, I think is, is one of the things. So there, there aren't very many, if any, people from ethnic minorities that are role models for other people to want to do veterinary medicine. And I think that's, that's one of the big challenges is that side of things. Um, and then I think it's the, the lack of understanding of how to get people to want to do veterinary medicine from the universities and not being able to target the right populations in the right way. That would be my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but would you, would you sort of agree with that? Sort of? Yeah, so oh. I think we're, we're starting to get, you know, I think when you think about veterinary, the age that you start to choose your career in veterinary, most of us chose quite young. And if you're not seeing, you know, kind of like diverse role models in that profession, then it's a real, it's a, it's kind of, it's hard to imagine yourself doing that career. I mean, I think we'll touch on this later, but in terms of kind of like which demographic, which ethnic minority groups are making it to vet school, um, most of the most of the diversity in the vet school is coming from people who are describing themselves as coming from a mixed background, and that would include people like myself. There does seem to be something about you know if ninety percent of our students are white, then what is it about this demographic that puts them at an advantage? And I would say that given some of the admissions criteria which focus on having work experience, a broad range of work experience, including farming work experience. If you, you know, if you are second generation migrant, then potentially you do not have any network, social networks that involve farm. And if that is a requirement to enter vet school, then this is a requirement that you can achieve, but very with a lot of difficulty. So that that would represent a, a big a big issue for me is that if the criteria is requesting farm, then this will automatically reduce the numbers of people who have links in the farming world. Yeah, yeah. and I think that um, it's the, I don't think, I think when, when first generation migrants came into this country, they always wanted their children to do sort of jobs that they were doing in their, where they came from, the things like medicine and engineering and all those sort of jobs. But I think now with the second, third, fourth generation sort of migrants now, rich people, um, they they are they do feel like they want to do veterinary or animal sort of sciences. But I don't think that they think that those options are there for them. Um, and I think that more of that needs to be done to yeah. increase diversity. Yeah. So I think that there's there's the the admissions piece and kind of whether or not you have the connections to do that. But I'm also kind of curious about then how how is the profession in general seen within those communities as a as a valid, respectable kind of professional pursuit. So, you know, some of the things that I see in in the kind of primary and secondary uh, education literature is that, you know, one families of color in general tend to have a lot more sway in terms of influence and in, in, in career choice 
for their kids. We we all love to say, you know, you can be anything. You can be prime minister. You can be president. I need you to go to medical school, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Or business school or engineering school, and then you can go do that. Next. So there's a there's there's a there's a kind of cultural pressure around kind of career choice, but then. Yeah, as you both have mentioned, when you're looking kind of second, third, fourth generation out, does the profession also still have the cachet and sway of of being something that folks want to do? And then you're still kind of butting up against the ability to do that thing because of, you know, lack of connections to to the profession, especially if you're kind of several several generations removed. Uh, Any thoughts? I think definitely kind of Southeast Asian cultures that I have been exposed to. Definitely the the choice degrees that you send your kids to would be, you know, engineering, medicine, accountancy. Like, but I actually think that when I was choosing my career, the you know was like twenty years ago, um, and actually there have been there have been a massive growth in the number of tech owning middle class Southeast Asians in in Asia and in the UK. The demographic of kind of pet ownership, I think, is also becoming a little more diverse. Talk to some Asian vets about their experiences with other Asian clients um, who are now getting the little status dogs. <laughs> and I wonder a little bit is, you know, owning a pet quite a middle middle class thing because of, you know, financial pressures and all of that kind of stuff. And as communities become more financially well off, as they become more middle class, are we going to see more people who have pets in their home? And therefore, this link between I own a pet, I like science, maybe I could be a vet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, is that, is, maybe that's something that's happening too. Sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, with the South, South Asian community that I sort of know more about in my own family, um, you know, when my parents came, no one, none of their relatives owned dogs and cats or anything like that. Now, most of my cousins and people like that all own dogs and they all think this is an option now. I think it is, it is more of an option and they can see the, the want to be a vet. Um, and I think parents are now being more receptive as well about these sort of things. So, yeah, I agree. It's sort of like, it's more I've seen and more of my cousins have come to me and said, well, you know, what is it like to be a vet and things like that, which before they would never ask. Well, I have to say, for folks that don't get to see the video, both Issa and my animals have made <laughs> brief appearances now on the show. Because um, still. <laughs> I can have a cat as well if you need yeah. yeah. <laughs> these these cat is So how do you, you know, what about the state of inclusion and climate when you have, you know, such a low percentage? Is that also an issue? You know, what's what's it what's it like to be a vet of color in the UK? So I would I would say that when you first arrive at vet school, it actually feels pretty feels pretty inclusive. And I think that is a lot to do with the numbers of overseas students that are in the vet schools and even more so in some of the vet schools that Edinburgh, Glasgow and London all have very large overseas student intake. I think that's because they have AVMA accreditation. So we'll get a lot of US students 
and the US students also bring some diversity with them. Especially at Edinburgh, we've got a very large intake from Asia. So when you go into that school, it actually is a very diverse sphere. Um, but I would guess that it's such a it's such a tough degree to get through that you're very much focused on doing your thing, getting through your placements. And I don't actually think that you have much time to reflect other than you know that you are one of, you know, you're bringing the diversity to the workplace. So you're bringing the diversity to the, to the work placement that you're doing. But I, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I think there's a reason that we set up BVEDS 10 years into practice. And that's because we, we aren't seeing the diversity coming through. We, you know, mm-hmm. I very rarely get to meet another vet of color. And the same issues with having an inclusive environment are coming up time and again. Um, so, so yeah, so I think I, I didn't really notice very much. You know, I had my own little battles that I had to fight. And a lot of that has been to do with my gender in, in farm work. <laughs> it is very tiring. And I think for the both of us, like 10 years on, we're frustrated that there's not been much more progress made or a concerted effort made in the profession to kind of make environments more inclusive to um we, you know if we've got lots of overseas students we're not actually encouraging them to stay in the UK which is a real shame <laughs> so that would be a very easy diversity cheat for us that's also not being done <laughs> mm. I would agree I think um I felt at university I was there to study I was there to work and I was there to get along because I didn't have time to fall out with people. And and if you did have any sort of cases of, of problems or anything like that, to be honest, you almost thought I'm going to look past it and just get on with my work and just try and get on with these people. Because end of the day we were in a minority and if we tried to speak up and if we and, and if no one supported us then we would be isolated. So the end the end game was get through the degree, get your degree, get into work. And, and, and like you were saying, you know, only, only now can we sit back and think, well, actually, it's not fair how, how things were for us. And hopefully we can make a change and improve it for people now. Um, because, we have, you know, since I've been working, I haven't seen any change. And I'm sure this will agree. And, it, you know, if you look at the broader context, the broader industries and how much they're changing and doing. And then you, and, 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 the, and the policies in place and all sorts of things. And we just don't have that in our profession. In, whether we're in university or once we're qualified. I think that that's a really important point that, that folks, I think, really fail to understand that there is a, a desire to just kind of push through, um, certainly at the academic level. There's just a desire to just, you know, you got to get that degree. <laughs> you got to get out. You got, you know, you've got all of these mini goals leading to the big one. And so there's a lot of stuff that a lot of folks, I think, let slide but they don't forget and that it does have a long-term impact and that once you kind of hit that achievement and, you know, you're out, you're practicing, you're living your life, you're doing those things and, you know, paying off student debt and all of those kinds of new adulting worries, right. That you actually do have time and emotional space to think about frankly, what happened to you or what you endured beyond just, you know, the academic rigors, but just the, the surrounding environmental rigors that you may have also had to endure. And I think, I think, sorry, (laughs) just to add a little bit, I think there is this 
there is this idea that we can intelligence our way out of oppression. <laughs> and I think that once you've gone through four degrees and you've practiced for 10 years and you're still being rejected because of your, your gender or your race, you suddenly realize that there is that you have to actually turn around and face it and that it's not just you that's going through this. But yeah, I think I think a lot of us were kind of like, you know, we're just going to um, do our best, get our head down, and we will be able to prove to everybody how competent and excellent we are. And then 10 years on, you realize that you're having to fight these battles just as you did on day one and that there is no improvement. Yeah, and I agree, because even when you talk to people from the student days, and even 10 years later, they've still got the same sort of attitudes, or they come up with the same sort of questioning, and you think, you haven't, you haven't learned anything. And you think people might come out of the student atmosphere and in the real world learn a bit more, but actually stay in the same sort of mindset, and you just think, this is not right, this is not right. And I think it's a constant battle. It's not one big battle, and then everything's okay for two or three years. It's every day or every week, you're constantly dealing with it, and you think, somebody's got to say that this is not right. And it's not just one person dealing with it. I'm sure everybody with the same sort of, you know, different colour or different race or different ethnicity, they all have these sort of mini battles every day that wears us down. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the British Veterinary Ethnicity and Diversity Society as, as one way that you all have, have thought about kind of addressing some of these issues. So how did this group come about? Whose brainchild is it? <laughs> Both of us, really. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, so, Steve, I think you you should start. You should, yeah, you should. Yeah. So, so I was um I was in practice, and um it led to and I'll, and one on one day I was called to a farm to do a carving, and uh, and as I was driving, the my boss got a phone call directly from the farmer saying he doesn't want me, he wants my my boss to go to the farm, and this has been a farmer who. One time, had I'd given him a cup of tea and he spilt it on the floor and, 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 and took a cup of tea from somebody else from working with me, and nobody said a thing. This was a farmer who would only look at everybody else and talk to and would ignore me and not say, and nobody said a thing. And it was constantly going, but I think it was this episode where it, it destroyed me in regards to questioning my clinical ability and, and questioning myself. And I tried, I tried to get support from the bosses and say, this is not right. And one of the bosses said, unfortunately, it's probably due to skin colour. Um, and and I, I thought, with, I kept going to the boss and thinking, no, this is not right. I want some support. I want some support. But they couldn't give it to me. So I went to our, our CBS, our old college, uh, and I asked, could I have help? And they, they referred me to the association. The association then referred me back to the Royal College, and nobody would take me seriously. And then I asked, I, I looked at other organisations for help and nobody could help me. And I think I just felt isolated, alone, and I couldn't go anywhere. So in the end, you know, after fighting and fighting to try and get somebody to listen, I think I knew if I was going through similar situations, I just, we, and we had been talking. Uh, I think we both sort of talked about it and decided, look, why don't we just work together and try and do it through us rather than go through other organisations because no one was willing to listen to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how it all sort of spawned, didn't it? I think the thing that really affected me was that whilst, you know, Steve's going through this kind of crisis, that there is nobody helping him. And I think, you know, we talk about, the UK profession in general is quite good now and quite open about talking about mental health. But mental health in the face of discrimination, there is 
We have um, something called uh, Vet Life for the Vet Life Helpline. It's an organisation that is specifically for veterinary professionals and those associated with the veterinary industry to get kind of like support. If we think about why a, a profession needs its own mental health service, it's because sometimes it's a lot easier to know that you're talking to somebody who understands your life, your lived experience. And, you know, so for so for us, when we're facing issues of discrimination, I think, you know, to be able to not have to explain stuff and just get on and talk about the issue at hand is actually really important. Um, and, you know, as the more vets that I have talked to, and um, the more we realise that we have very common, like, common issues um yeah and if i you know if beds existed when people was needing help then it, i think i think a lot of things would be different and what i realized you know in my work was that i was having to do a lot of kind of almost hr kind of like education with people who were managing me because they did they didn't understand what discrimination was and that, you know, what language is appropriate to be used in a work practice. And for doing that and for calling out racism um, and kind of like discriminatory behaviour, like I was actually, you know, and I don't particularly consider myself um, a provocative personality. I was facing, I was threatened with disciplinary action um, and I had to sit down with my practice manager and actually explain to her that the, actually the next step that would happen should be that um, she would be going for diversity training um, <laughs> because she 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 clearly didn't understand that um, her use of racist language was not appropriate in a workplace. But, you know, the other thing that struck me, none of the professional bodies actually talked about employment tribunal or kind of like any kind of like legal support which is even you know is quite that's quite a basic thing so we realized there was you know this kind of quite quite systemic lack of information and knowledge and that if practices are not planning for an incident of discriminatory behavior and they ad lib it they will ad lib it completely wrong they basically you know like i won't work for anybody who facilitates client discrimination against me or engages in discriminatory behavior and yeah <laughs> and so well, I mean, we realized we had to do a lot to. of educating yeah. yeah you shouldn't have to no one should have to right? <laughs> so i mean i think that, that this is this is a such an important conversation because what we always kind of hear when groups like you guys are created and I'll be doing a show on some other affinity groups as well. Is that, you know, well, why do we need this group and what is, what makes it so different and why can't you discuss that with the society or, you know, our VCS or like, why can't we just all get along? Right. <laughs> and it's, there's a real need for affinity groups because those groups don't necessarily deal with these kinds of issues. And sometimes if they, when they don't, or when they do, sometimes it takes them a long time to learn how to deal with them well. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And so it's really, really important to have these kinds of associations and, and groups to provide the type of support and to have the kind of conversations that people need to have thriving careers and to stay in the profession. 
I mean, I, I do often wonder how many people around the world are in kind of these situations who ultimately choose to do something else outside of veterinary medicine because, you know, of, of the experiences that they have. And that's a real potential loss of talent, right? Yeah, that's, that's and, a real and talent that, loss. That's, that's situation has been expressed to me and you know and sometimes there are days where you do feel like could I just choose an easier route yeah, <laughs> yeah. so tell me um so I, I have up the group and for listeners of the show you can find the British Veterinary uh, Ethnicity and Diversity Society BVEDS on Facebook I see that you've got your mission here and as I mentioned at the top of the show there were six points I'm going to quickly read them off you guys can tell me a little bit about what it is that what kinds of supports and what kinds of things um, people can reach out to you for so number one to celebrate and appreciate diversity within our profession number two to provide education education to vets, students, and nurses in the veterinary profession regarding ethnicity and diversity. Number three, a place where people can share experiences and advice on issues regarding this topic. Number four, to promote the veterinary profession to people of diverse backgrounds. Number five, support people who need help when issues regarding ethnicity and diversity exist. And number six, collaborate with other organizations and societies, hopefully like AAVMC, to promote our message. So what does that mean? on a day-to-day basis? So on a day-to-day, we are basically, we are available. So if you are a vet of color, please get in touch with us. We love to talk to you. (laughs) So on Twitter and Facebook, we provide posts that maybe people wouldn't necessarily get outside of talking about race and diversity. It's kind of like an easy way to, you know, click on a Facebook link, learn a new, learn, learn what intersectionality means, that kind of thing. So, and that's both for our vets of color and also other professionals and also for any white allies who would like to educate themselves. And so we've done a few things like we, because we're, we're public facing, kind of talked a little bit about kind of encouraging wannabe vets to get in contact with us because we're aware that they may not have that kind of like social network that some of the white students have. So um, in terms of helping, particularly because most of our, most of our BAME students will be coming from kind of like state schools rather than private school. Mm -hmm. And so the state schools can be very hit and miss with the help that they give to students who are trying to go for very kind of competitive degrees. So, you know, we've been doing things like mock interviews, helping with personal statements, the UCAS form, just kind of providing a bit of love and support really to, yeah, basically school school leavers who are getting ready to interview out of that school. And then one of the other things that we do is um, that we, that because, well, because I work in farm and Steve works in farm, we're automatically, um, I guess we are a network. So if people are looking and finding it difficult to find placements, then, you know, when I think about this issue is that if you do not have a relative or a friend of a friend who you know, then actually disappear, you, you know, convincing your family that it's a good idea, you disappear for two weeks to go lambing, it's probably a little bit nerve wracking. So, yeah, basically saying you, if you don't have a network, then we can be your network. And then, you know, I'm, I'm 
you know, have my experience of working in higher education now. So I'm doing a lot of um, facilitating discussions with students. That definitely has been very interesting. I think they're relieved to know that they can talk about like issues with a member of staff. You know, and and I think genuinely, um, when you're dealing with these things and you haven't talked about them, that you start to think that the issue is your problem. Um, and when you hear maybe a more experienced older vet actually go, well, actually, that that's quite a common thing. That's not you. That's just, you know, that's a that's quite a, a common response that you will get. I think they feel relieved. So that's that's kind of my day today, <laughs> and feels yeah. a little bit more organi- organizational based. So, so, yeah. so this is doing the, the future generation and supporting people that are hopefully studying towards towards the qualification. What what I do a little bit more is, is I try and raise awareness among practicing vets about issues. I think practicing vets feel if they don't see it, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of trying to show that actually the little things that you do might not be appropriate. So trying to raise awareness among practicing vets, but also trying to bring recognition of what we do among the, the bigger societies. So trying to get the Royal College, the British Veterinary Association, the British Cattle Veterinary Association, the Equine Association, all of them together to realise that we do have to support all members of our profession, not certain members of our profession. So how, where are we now? What's our awareness of the problem? And how do we move forward? And so I'm sort of trying to push that sort of agenda and trying to create create more more of a support network for vets that are in practice um, you know, with this as well uh, and together sort of trying to, yeah, to develop that side of things. Because I think we, we sometimes assume that it's just the older vets that have got problems, but we, we've learned more and more recently that it's actually younger vets as well that are recently qualified. They've also got certain misunderstandings and that need to be re-educated in certain ways. So it's sort of a, hol- a holistic sort of way of trying to try and um, increase ethnicity and diversity among the veterinary profession, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I, I love the page. Seem is out here writing all kinds of uh, opinion pieces and there's some really great pieces. I also was so proud of you uh, um, to post <laughs> that letter that you got. <laughs> um, so Steve wrote a, a really great piece on, on diversity and got a kind of, really nasty gram, a really, really bad nasty gram. Um, but, I, you know, I think that it's important that we not necessarily name and shame, but we have to call things a thing. We, we have to call it what it is and we have to show it and shed light to it because I think that, that pretending it doesn't happen and pretending that sentiment is not out there does no one any favors. It doesn't move us forward. No, I think we can fit in where we are. I think it only happens everywhere else. But as a vet or working in the farming industry, we don't have people like that who could write that sort of note, or we don't have people that can receive that sort of message. And I think it hit the message home that actually is among us as well. You know, they can be that extreme sort of sentiment. Um, it's not just the people working in, I don't know, car manufacturers or restaurants. or right. So I think what it did is it was shocking, and I admit that. And, and actually it made people realise actually there is a problem. And so although horrible it is, and, you know, it was it was shocking, I, I hope that it's brought people to realise there is a problem. But what I want people to realise is the problem is not just what you see, it's all the other stuff as well that me and this have had to go through daily or weekly, you know. 
Um, but yeah, I thought I thought also if someone else receives it, I hope that they can see well it's not just them, and that me and if have have to see this kind of thing, and we can support them now because we have that experience and knowledge. Yeah, you guys are doing a lot of heavy lifting in addition to helping cows and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I think that in the UK we don't have we don't have a lease green hill. <laughs> We, and we would love one. We would really love one. I think it's basically the, we, us as individual vets of colour and all the vets of colour, we are the forefront of the diversity training in our profession. So we're the ones that are teaching our colleagues what's appro- not appropriate and not appropriate behaviour and management and um, what is discriminatory practice and where like our organization I think are probably one of the only organizations that's signposting to kind of like diversity materials and articles and within working within a university has been a very interesting experience so whilst um, in the UK we have various kind of like initiatives like the Athena Swan which is for gender equality sometimes that can contain a like a uh, racial equality component that might not be taken up so so in general you know like I can work in you know Edinburgh University and feel very supported as a as a woman but I can't get anyone to sponsor a cup of tea so that I can go and have a cup, cup of coffee or something with a with another member of staff of color mm. so the disparity kind of like in the kind of like equality within higher education I think it's, it's been really illuminating for me to work in this environment and there's so much to do we can make so much progress just the two of us kind of like yeah. tapping on people's shoulders and saying have you thought about you know what your role in kind of improving diversity and equality is in our profession and um, but it's going to take us a hell of a long time we would certainly appreciate some more some more help but we there's three percent of us in the right. profession right. so and I think you know both both of us you have to be in quite a unique scenario to be able to take on doing this work so have to be mentally prepared for um, dealing with some of the issues that we deal with you have to be I guess have some kind of career security or at least have lost all of your give shit, you know, about what people think about you. Because it, you know, when you're first, you know, when you're a new graduate, like you don't, you don't want to rock the boat. You know, right. you, you, you'll be fighting your own individual battle. But really, I mean, getting people to to network, there is good stuff going out in in individual organisations with by individuals, but it's not coordinated, and that can make the work seem even harder because um, you don't have anybody that gets it. You're going, you're doing a really great job. Like, you know, well done. What I tend to see is that basically, eventually, the people who are doing this, if they're not getting, if they're not getting anywhere, then we're just burning them out, and they just stop doing that work because it's too emotionally and mentally draining. I think a lot of knockbacks as well. I think you, you, you try and try and and you've got to realise that when they say no, you try again and you try again. And, you know, we've been at it for so long and we feel like we're making inroads now. Yeah. But we're still early on. It's just never giving up. I think that's the thing. We always got to think we're for the greater good. 
So as for the future generation, I think that's the big thing as well. Yes. I think that that's always a motivation, kind of thinking of of the folks that are coming behind you and kind of the, not only the example that you want to set for them in terms of persistence, but also the the profession that you want to share with them. Yeah. 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 And I mean, like, the the profession kind of initially was just very, very quiet (laughs) and very Um, (laughs) non-responsive. And I guess, that you know like nobody nobody likes criticism right and we're highlighting issues that perhaps people haven't thought about before but we totally reserve the right to criticize the profession that we love yeah um, <laughs> and like we love our work I love I love what I do I just would like it to be more open and more inclusive in a way that other professions have already moved towards and that we can see that it's happening in the states that you know we we just think that all of the veterinary organizations can do better that if they you know they all say that you know they fully embrace diversity but that also involves talking about discrimination and the barriers that that demographic um face and being honest and you know being able to kind of like put into place some positive diversity uh, initiatives try and circumvent some of those barriers and, and that's that's going to be the real test is whether or not they they start not just talking about diversity but actually dealing with discrimination yeah. and uh, putting into place some kind of yeah. like active measures yeah and I, I think yeah I'll reiterate this I think it's creating the awareness we have to do have a problem and not pretending that we don't and therefore creating a support network and creating um, and, and inclusion, basically, within all those different organizations. I completely agree. Awesome. I think that that's a really positive note for us to, to maybe end on. I think that you guys are doing amazing work. Congratulations. I am always here to support you and help you any way that I can. I have some definitely some ideas we could talk about offline, but you know, you guys are doing amazing, amazing work there. And thank you for that. Um, because I think that it's not, you know, the impact of organizations like this. And again, I'll, I'll have colleagues on from the U.S. Um, on a, another show that will be coming out as well soon, talking about these kinds of diversity affinity groups that, that, it, it doesn't just impact you all in the UK. Um, it does have a global impact, um, effect. And this messaging does resonate much larger than, uh, than you know, your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed. Um, it does have a broader stretch and, and, and broader reach. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, basically, this, this yeah. is too short. <laughs> <laughs> So where can they find you on social media? Uh, so you can follow us on Twitter. I think we are, if, is it BVED2016? Uh, you can find us. Okay. Um, um, yeah, and if you type the British Veterinary Ethnicity uh, Diversity uh, Society into Facebook, you should find us. We're, it's a bit of a mouthful. But yeah, BVED is there too. Awesome. So if you are in the UK, if you're British, I love, like, you know, we, in the, in the States, we have this kind of weird affinity for, 
our former <laughs> the country we apparently could not get away from. But we we want to definitely support this group, the British Veterinary Ethnicity and Diversity Society. So you be sure to find them on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you are a vet of color in the UK, definitely reach out to your colleagues. You're not alone. You have a place that you can go and, and find some support. Yeah, you yeah. I'm not just vet. So vet nurses, ah. basically, if you're associated with the veterinary profession, we're here for you as well. Because awesome. I mean, I, I, I yeah. don't know where else you would go. We're, we're here to support anybody working in the profession of colour. Absolutely. Also different religions, race, ethnicities as well. So anything, awesome. we'll support you. Awesome. Wonderful. Be sure to check them out on Facebook and Twitter find the support that you need and gather together and change the world. So to my guests, Issa and Steve, thank you so much for joining me for this really great episode. Um, It's been great to hear what you all are doing and, and what's happening in the UK. So be sure to check out back episodes of Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Follow our Facebook page as well, um, Diversity and Inclusion on Air. It's on Facebook. You can find us in the audio version on YouTube. You can find us on SoundCloud. We're now on Google Play. You can even say Alexa Play, (laughs) and we will turn up there as well. So for another episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air from AAVMC, we're signing off. Thank you so much, Steve and Issa, again. This has been a really great discussion. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.